In response to everything he's revealed himself to me, would you tell him, I will worship, I will worship you, I will worship you. Sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Church, our need for him is significant. We're alive because he is alive. The battle is won by Jesus' blood. So in this moment, would you praise him in his victory? Because it's enough. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. Oh my God will never. If you believe those words, we're just singing it out again today. Oh my God will never fail. Cause I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Yes, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. It's already won. It's his There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. Amen. Oh, I'm not backing down from any giant. Cause I know, I know how this story ends. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. 
for good, even death, for the power of the cross. Yes, he's a work, we believe. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Yes, you turn it for good, for the power of your love, Lord. Yes, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Yes, you turn it for good. There's nothing too great, there's nothing too vast, cause he's working. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Yeah. You turn it for good. Yes, there's freedom here in Bolivia. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good, because he's always are everlasting church let us not forget God of Abraham you're the God of covenant of faithful promises 
Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And then my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Would you tell them this morning? Is your faithfulness? Yes, who needs to proclaim this today? Is your faithfulness true? From the rising sun to the setting sun, I will praise your name always. Is your faithfulness true? In every trust in him and confess he is faithful. Would you tell him in this moment? I put my faith. 
on the things that matter. See, church, our God is not done showing us himself and his work when we first believe the gospel. Even though we've known Christ and surrendered ourselves to him, we have not even scraped the surface of who he is and what he accomplished for us with his death on the cross. So God, in our time together this morning, in this moment, would you open our eyes to your promises? Lord, open our eyes to the hope of Christ. Lord, open our eyes to the riches of your inheritance. Lord, open our eyes to our safety with you in your presence. God, open our eyes to you in your fullness, because it's enough. So, Father, we give you our hearts. We give you this time of worship. And as long as there's still breath in our lungs, you'll be glorified in this place. We lift this all up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Welcome to church today. We're family, but you turn to those around you and make them feel welcome as family in God's house this morning. Hey, Good morning, friends. It is great to see you. Welcome to Second Service here at MRCC. Thanks for joining us for worship. Welcome to everybody who's joining us live stream and online on the podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us as well. I know that we are in the end times. I know that Jesus has to come back this week because the Mariners are going to be in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, that just can't happen, right? It's a sign of the end times. Hey, can we take just a moment, we, we do this once in a while, just to appreciate these musicians who were here since 5.30 this morning. They uh, get in here at 6 in the morning and then are here till 12.30 in the afternoon just to serve. So huge appreciation, huge thanks to them. It is great to be with you this morning. Welcome our Father, oh church, it, 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 can't, it can't be said too much, our Father loves us. We are loved 
as sons and daughters by our maker, by God. Boy, just take that in. Take that in. And the thing that delights him most is when we take that and turn it into love for each other. So thanks for doing that this morning. Hey, um, a, a couple things I want to call your attention to before we open the word together in a moment. Uh, and one of them is that tonight is the kickoff uh, of something very special that has been happening here at, at MRCC for almost 15 years every fall. And that is what we call Financial Peace University. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Financial Peace University, it is a tried and true, nuts and bolts, practical, hands-on way to get your finances under control, to get out of debt. The Bible says it's God's will that we would be debt-free. And this is a practical, hands-on, it's a nine-week course, starts tonight on Sunday evening, tonight and next week, and then continues. And um, this is your opportunity. If you say to yourself, you know what, my financial house is not in order and I really want it to be. I want to learn God's methods for doing that. I want to learn practical methods for doing that. That's what FPU is all about. Luke and Daniela Miller are going to be leading it. Where are Luke and Daniela? They're somewhere. There they are. Are going to be leading it this week. Uh, Dave and Carolyn Harder led it for many years. Actually, there's a whole line of folks who have uh, sustained this powerful uh, experience for our church. So it's open to us. It's open to your friends, your neighbors. Maybe you've got some neighbors. You say, man, let's do this together. It starts tonight uh, and next week and then continues on from there. Luke and Daniela will be at the guest center uh, out there in the sanctuary. You can connect with them. Dave and Carolyn will be down front. Dave usually falls asleep about halfway through the sermon. You might have to wake him, but uh, he'd be happy to talk to you about it as well. But in all seriousness, it's a great opportunity, so you're invited to be a part of that. Tomorrow night is uh, our Sisters of Strength. That's our monthly ladies get-together. That happens here in the church, 6.30, dinner, fellowship, great time, no cost or anything like that. Bring a friend. Uh, last Monday was uh, Band of Brothers. We had a terrific time here. Tomorrow night is Sisters of Strength, so be aware of that. Tonight, something new and different is happening, and that is uh, our next-gen worship night. Pastor Darius got birth this in his heart, and so if you are next-gen, I'll let you define that. Uh, tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, they're going to be gathering for a worship time here in the sanctuary, and you're invited to be a part of that, bring a friend. I guess I really betrayed my age again, because in first service, I called it next generation tonight, and some of the young people came to me and said, no, Pastor Greg, that's Star Trek, this is next-gen, that's totally different, so... <laughs> Okay, but anyway, it's going to be tonight. It's going to be awesome next gen. So uh, we're going to be meeting at 6 down here. Be aware of that. Just uh, by way of reminder to our missions trip to Belize in December, that is on hold. The missions team is still taking applications for that. But right now, the country of Belize, because of a COVID outbreak, is on lockdown. They're not allowing people in and out. Uh, so we're, we're still going forward, but we're on a little bit of a holding pattern with regard to that. So be aware of that. Uh, this morning uh, is also a very special Sunday in the calendar of our church. And this morning, every fall, we take a moment to stop and pause and to take note of all those who are part of our church who serve in our local schools, teachers, staff, administrators, whatever. And as a matter of fact, there's a picture of our slide we're going to put up here 
All these names are names of people who are part of our church who serve in our local schools. And there's a lot of names. I asked why they put the, some of the names in red on the slide, and I'm told those people are, are particularly bad sinners, so they need our prayer uh, this morning. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, um, all of these folks serve uh, in our local schools, and I know you don't want to, but some of you are, are sitting here in second service, and I want to ask you, if you would, for just a moment, you can just stand up for a moment, would you do that so that we can honor and appreciate you this morning? Just, I know, somebody's got to go first. Would you stand up if you serve in our schools? Come on. There we go. All right. There we go. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And not only are we going to pray for you specifically in just a moment, but we also say something as a church to those of us who serve in our schools every fall, and and so I'm going to say it again. We stand with you and beside you in what you're doing, and if you come to a point this school year where you say, hey, there's a particular need in my classroom or at my school and the church could help with that. Maybe you need a piece of equipment. Maybe a student needs assistance of some kind. We want you to know the door is open to come and ask us about that, to come and talk to us about that. Uh, we believe in your ministry in the schools, and so we want to support it. We want you to know that you don't serve alone. Uh, we stand with you, beside you, behind you. So uh, we say that every fall, and, and there's a couple of items that usually come in over the course of the year. And and we just do those uh, to the glory of God. So know that we stand with you in your ministry. Church, can we, can we pray for, gosh, especially this last two years, our teachers. I can't think of anything harder right now than being a healthcare worker or a teacher uh, or a school worker. So w- would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the ministry that you have given these brothers and sisters, God. So important, so strategic, Lord, right in the middle of the lives of our children. God, we pray your blessing on their calling, Lord. We pray that you would encourage them, help them know the delight that you take in their serving, help them to know how much you love the kids that they are serving. And God, we pray your blessing on their efforts, and we pray that they would feel uh, your satisfaction in their work and that they would know that they're not alone, that we as their church stand with them. God, we pray for every single name on that slide, and, and we thank you for them, and we do it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more thing before we open the word together. I'm going to invite totally Pastor Allison. She's right here, our children's pastor. Me. Yep. Share I'm with us. I'm ready to go. I know. You're always ready to go. Go. Um, I just wanted to come uh, just be with you this morning and, and share with you uh, through the month of October, we're really going to be uh, talking about what it means to join a team at MRCC. And of course, I'm our kids pastor, if you haven't met me. And um, so we have probably one of the largest teams uh, because in kids ministries, we really only ask our, our leaders and our helpers to serve one one time per month and just during one service. It's the only ministry where uh, you're not able to attend service unless you only serve one. So you serve one service and then you're still able to attend. Uh, But across the board, uh, we have so many different ways to serve in our church. And I know that you're probably aware, we were talking about even in school ministry, how, you know, a school ministry in schools, uh, just between from custodial all the way through, there's a million jobs. It's the same in your church. And um, I remember when I first started serving in my church way back a long time ago, uh, even in college, and I felt like, you know, I'm doing something in our church. I thought that was a good thing, but the truth is the joy was right here. 
And uh, I just know that as a church, as a family, together when we serve together, the joy is actually right here in our heart. And uh, so I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to join a team if you're not already serving on a team. Uh, we actually have a table in the foyer out there. So come and just talk to us about what it means. Uh, we don't ask a lot. We, we don't want to burden or overwhelm. That's why we need so many. And as our church grows, the need grows. Uh, but more than that, um, the joy in serving together is really there. So we want to invite you to do that. Um, but also on the back of your seat, there's a little QR code. Uh, that's another way to get connected with us. So if you're new, uh, that's a great way to get connected. Just scan that from your phone. Let us know you're new. But also at the bottom of that connect card, there's a spot that says, hey, I'd like to know more about joining the kids team. I'd like to know more about the greeter team. Or uh, if, you, if you click on one of those, it sends us an email, whatever ministry uh, is in charge of that area, to let us know. And then we'll give you a call. So that's super simple. You can do it right from your seat or just come talk to us in the foyer. Yep. Pastor Allison, yep. Like Jesus taught us, friends, the most important ministry that happens here at our church doesn't happen in here. It happens down the hall with our kids. Amen. So uh, we're inviting you to come and help us be a part of that. Uh, like Allison said, you'll get more out of it than you put into it. Uh, that's the cool thing about it. Grab your Bible, if you would, this morning, church, and open it to Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. We're walking together through this epistle written to the church at Colossa, written to us by the Holy Spirit. We're in chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. And you know, sometimes, just a moment ago, it hit me again. I, I, I wish we didn't have that clock back there telling us third service is still coming, and uh, we've got to keep moving, but... The Holy Spirit invites you right now to just sit down in this moment, to just allow yourself to remember that we have eternal life. And if there's anybody who need not be anxious and worried about schedules and hurry, it's us. It's us. We have eternal life. God wants that for you. You need that in this time when there's so much turmoil, so much anxiety out there. God wants us to know that we can rest. Now, the city of Enumclaw police want us to know that we have to let second service out on time, otherwise they're going to give us a hard time about traffic. So that's a whole different matter. But God wants you to feel uh, that rest, wants you to feel that peace. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, I, I hope that if you've fallen out of the habit of, of bringing your Bible to church with you, you'll, you'll let yourself get back into that habit. There's, there's a whole thing that happens between you and God when you have your Bible in front of you, whether it's on your phone or your iPad or paper and uh, whatever form it takes. Uh, get in that habit. God will meet you in it. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Let me ask you a question as we get started this morning, and that is, have you ever been, have you ever been hoaxed really well? Have you ever had somebody pull a hoax on you and do a really good job of it? Most of us have. I love a good hoax. And when I say a good hoax, here's how I define a good hoax. A good one is smart and gentle and funny when it's over. It's never cruel or demeaning in any way. Instead, when you're the victim, I'll use that word, of a good hoax, you come out the other end feeling loved. You come out the other end feeling closer to your friends or whoever, whoever put that over on you. I remember learning that as a boy because my grandfather just got a kick out of hoaxing me as a little boy all the time. And I learned that it was a reflection of his love for me. 
It was just a couple of months ago when our staff here at the church hoaxed me. They're always hoaxing me, but they got me particularly well. Um, if you come into my office, normally you'll see a little Captain America bobblehead that's on my desk. My son gave it to me, I don't know, five, six years ago, and it's set on my desk ever since then. Well, our staff got together and they replaced my little Captain America bobblehead with a, a John Walker bobblehead, you know, the bad cap. And they, they stuck that on there instead and they didn't say a word because they wanted to see how long it would take me to notice. Well, the hoax is on them because I didn't notice at all. <laughs> I never even saw what was going on there. They kept waiting and waiting and waiting for me to notice. And even when they pointed it out, they said, that's not your Captain America bobblehead. I said, yes, it is. Look at it. That's my Captain America bobblehead. Eventually... They re realize that hoaxing me is a little difficult because I'm unusually stupid. And so it's hard to, <laughs> to pull that off, you know. But, but yeah, a, a good hoax is, is love expressed when it's done gently, when it's done well. Probably the greatest hoax of the 20th century we are all aware of. You, you've heard the story of the War of the World's radio broadcast. You've probably heard this. Happened on Sunday, October 30th, 1938, when uh, Orson Welles and the CBS radio broadcasting crew put on an hour-long production which pretended to be live news about an invasion of the earth by the Martians, the War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells' old story, the War of the Worlds. And, and the way it's been handed down to us is that that night while that radio program was running... <laughs> people actually started thinking it was real. And in fact, according to more than 12,000 newspaper stories distributed across our country in the week following, according to those articles, some estimated as many as a million people were taken in by the hoax. And a key part of the story was that literally thousands of people were roaming around rural New Jersey in the middle of the night with shotguns and pitchforks looking for Martians, especially around the town of Grover's Mill in New Jersey. And that, that, that story we've all grown up with and we've all believed. But here, as Paul Harvey would say, I just dated myself, here's the rest of the story. You see, in 2003, the media department at American University, under the leadership of Professor Do W. Joseph Campbell, became one of eventually many media investigators who went back to research the story of the War of the Worlds hoax. And you know what they found out? <laughs> that the War of the Worlds hoax is a hoax. It never happened. People were never taken in. There were not thousands of people roaming the countryside. Almost nobody, in fact, thought it was real. But the truth of the matter is that maybe eight phone calls were made to the Grover's Mill Police Department, and they were made by people who had been told by other people that thousands of people were roaming the countryside. And the truth of the matter is all those stories were invented by newspaper reporters in order to sell newspapers. Raise your hand if you're surprised. <laughs> The truth of the matter is the hoax is a hoax. It didn't happen. It never happened. But it has become an urban legend that we all believe in. And, and I share that with us this morning because God wants to talk to us about the hoaxes that are perpetrated on us here and now. And particularly the hoaxes about who God is. 
about what he does, about his heart, about his mind, about how he works. That's what's on the mind of the Apostle Paul here in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Let's listen to what he has to say. We're going to work down through the rest of chapter 2 in the next 20 minutes or so together. But let yourself hear what, what God is saying through the Apostle, not only to the believers at Colossae, but, but to us today. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, the Bible says this, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord... Continue to live in him. You remember we talked two weeks ago about receiving Jesus' authority is the key to experiencing him. He is the word made flesh. He is God come near, God among us, God in human form. Paul calls the Colossians' attention back to that just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord. He says, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. What does he mean by that? We'll see in a moment. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, our faith is fundamentally an offering of thanksgiving, a celebration of thanksgiving to what God has done for us. That's, that's the beauty of our Christian faith. Overflowing with thanksgiving. And then here comes, here comes the hoax talk. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy or ways of thinking, which depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Some translations have it, the basic principles of this world. We'll break it down in a moment. Which depend on human tradition and the spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, hear this, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, everything that it can be known about God is in Christ. He is God revealed. Now, let's pause for a moment and, and take in the intensity that the apostle is speaking with. First of all, that phrase, see to it that no one takes you captive. The phrase is very strong in the original Greek. It is actually the phrase used for a soldier on patrol. See to it, be on guard, be alerted, be armed and ready, watchful and careful. It's an aggressive exhortation. God is saying to you and me, be very careful about this. See to it that you aren't taken captive. Be, be on alert. You know, at our house, if you come to our house to watch the football game, we have a policy at our house. Our house is a no commercial zone. Okay, so if you come to our house and you're watching the game and the game pauses and they go to commercial, the mute button goes on immediately. We, we just don't have any tolerance for commercials. We know what commercials are. They're cleverly packaged, misdirectional, you know, misinformation about all kinds of things. So we just immediately go on pause afterwards. Paul says, be like that. Be on patrol. Be on guard. Be a skeptic. Have a filter. See to it that no one takes you captive. See, because that's what hoaxes do. They take us captive. They, they spread anxiety. They spread fear. They spread misinformation. They spread anger. They spread misdirection. That nobody takes you captive. Yeah. The most powerful influence in anybody's life is whatever we believe to be true about God. That is the case whether you are a believer or not. Because all people have ideas about God. And they are the most 
powerful, far-reaching influences in our lives. And Paul says, because of that, pay very careful attention to where and how you get those ideas because some of them will take you captive. There's a, there's a poignant moment in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story, but you can look it up. It's a story about Jesus going to church. In those days, they went on a Saturday. He's going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And when he got there, there was a, a, a very sick man, a, a man suffering from a severe condition, a severe injury. And the Bible says that the crowd was watching to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. <laughs> you see, they had this idea in those days that any kind of exertion or work that you carried out on the Sabbath was somehow disobeying God. And they had so lost touch with who God really is that that idea had become dominant. And so Jesus, knowing this, the scripture tells us, he looked around at the crowd and he said, should I heal this man or not? And nobody was willing to say a word. In other words, everybody was riding the fence, playing the field, staying in the middle, not committing themselves, while right in front of them was a man in need who they knew Jesus had power to heal. And here's what the Bible says that Jesus looked around at them, catch this, deeply distressed. Why was he deeply distressed? Because these people couldn't even see what was incredibly obvious, that this man needed God's power and that Jesus was here to give it, and they couldn't even see it. Instead, they were saying, well, he better not do it on the Sabbath. He, he can heal the guy tomorrow. Let him suffer for a while. Because the most important thing is obeying the Sabbath. So Jesus looked around deeply distressed. See, that's how lies about God take us captive. They separate us from the natural compassion and concern and care and love that the Spirit of God wants to pour through us. Some, in, in the same vein, think godliness is a means to financial gain, even though the Bible explicitly says it isn't, and that anybody who says it is is hoaxing you. Again, the idea takes them captive, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. Paul says, watch out for this kind of captivity. And he says it happens through hollow and deceptive philosophy. The word philosophy means knowledge. Hollow and deceptive. Deceptive meaning untrue. It's just not the case. And hollow meaning empty and powerless. In other words, there's a lot of ideas about God that will make you a captive and produce none of the power of God in your life. And that was what was happening among some of the Colossians. And so Paul says, hey, watch out for this stuff. And he said it depends on two things. He said it depends on human tradition, that is the deception, comes through human tradition and it comes through the, the elemental spiritual forces of this world or the basic principles of this world. But let's understand those two phrases. It comes through human tradition. That's popular public religious myths. And there are so many of them. Some are silly, some are serious. On the silly side, I remember getting ready for a church event that happens at the end of October. It's a church holiday that happens on October 31st. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Harvest Festival. Have you heard of this? Okay. <laughs> 
Harvest Festival happens on October 31st in churches. It's gone on for a long time. And we were having our Harvest Festival celebration, which was a kid's get-together. And as I was getting ready to leave my house and go to the church, one of the workers called me and said, Pastor Greg, we don't have enough candy bowls. We need you to pick up some more candy bowls for the kids. I said, great, I'll swing by Fred Meyer's on the way to the church. I'll pick you up a bunch. They need like 20 candy bowls. It's no problem. So I go to Fred Meyer's, and I'm in a hurry, and I get to the section, you know, the Harvest Festival section, and I'm looking for some candy bowls. And here's the problem. All the candy bowls are themed for a different holiday, which also starts with an H. All of, there's all, the only candy bowls I can find in the quantity I need are pumpkin candy bowls. And I remember being paralyzed and standing there in the aisle going, can I buy these? I'm a pastor. Can I take these to the harvest festival? Should I buy the pumpkin bowls? I must have stood there for 10 minutes. Somebody from the church walked by, hey, Pastor Greg, what are you doing? I said, I really don't want to tell you. I'm obsessing over <laughs> these. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Greg, it's got nothing to do with anything. It's got nothing to do with anything. Your Bible says nothing about candy bowls. So I bought all the pumpkin candy bowls and took them to church. But look how, look how easily we can be made captive. And on the serious side, this afternoon, I will be meeting with an extended family in a a community in our area, not part of our church. And I'll be meeting with them because we're having a memorial service for a teenager who killed himself. Do you know how many hoaxes and deceptions there are about suicide? In fact, some acquaintances of theirs who were Christ followers met with the family the day after it happened and said, we're so sorry to tell you that's the unforgivable sin. Now listen, I, I don't believe those people had evil intentions. I really don't. But they're flat wrong. Nowhere does the Bible say that suicide is the unforgivable sin. Nowhere. Knock yourself out. Contact me when you find it. It's not there. It isn't there. So why would you say that? You'd say that because you've been hoaxed, because you've been taken captive by human tradition or by a religious myth. Now, friends, please understand, suicide is horrible. It's awful. It's a terrible sin. It damages everybody around you and you yourself, and you should run from it. But that is exactly not what that family needs to hear in that moment. First, because it's not true. Second, because it's not helpful. Somebody says, well, we need to tell them that so they won't do it. <laughs> the end doesn't justify the means, friends. Lying about God won't get people closer to God. And so Paul says, hey, everybody, be really careful about this stuff so that you're not standing in Fred Myers for 10 minutes over stupid things, so that you're not doing really hurtful things. Human traditions are popular public religious myths. There's a million of them. Just turn on your country western station. They're all there. <laughs> The truth about God, ah, here's the thing, and I, I don't want to belabor this, I want to move on, but the truth about it is that God's nature, hear me, friends, is incredibly permissive. He only forbids a few things. G.K. Chesterton said that the reason the Ten Commandments are so short and simple is because God forbids so little and permits so much. One of the religious myths of our world is that God forbids a lot of things. No, he only forbids a few. 
What did he say to Adam and Eve in the garden? I made this whole garden for you. There's hundreds, thousands of trees. You can eat from all of them. Just not this one. Stay away from this one. It's bad for you. It's not good for you. And in the same way, he says, life is full of things to enjoy, but there's a few things. Here, let me lay them on you. There's 10 of them. Stay away from these things. What does the devil come along and say? See, see, he's just a killjoy. He just wants to forbid everything to you. No, he doesn't. It's just one tree in the garden. Turn away from that. But when we think it's the contrary, then we get taken captive by that idea. You know, the Apostle Paul writes to the young Pastor Timothy. We don't have time to get in it this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, the hallmark of demonic teaching in the last days is this. People will be told to abstain from things they're meant to receive with thanksgiving. Wow, how different is that than the lie, the hoax that's out there? So this is why Paul says, be very careful about all of this stuff. Watch out for these hoaxes about real, uh, about religion. And, and especially he's going to be concerned here with, with the tendency that, that is still around to, to get caught up in Jewish superstitions. To think that Jewishness is somehow a better form of Christian faith. Paul says, no, are you crazy? That's nuts. Jewishness is the context through which we understand Jesus, but it doesn't add to your faith. Look what he says, verses 16 and 17, chapter 2. He says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. See, the Jews had laws about what you ate or drink. Bible tells us under the New Covenant, Acts chapter 10, that all foods are lawful for us. But the Jews would still say, oh, you can't eat this, you got to eat that. And they would say, if you're a really serious Christian, you'll add all this Jewish stuff to your faith. Paul says, no, don't let anybody judge you about what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival. Hey, you know what? If you do the Passover, that makes you an extra special Christian. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Is it something you can learn about what Jesus has done? Yeah, sure it is. It doesn't make you extra special. Or, or a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, same idea. Sometimes people get hung over. Oh, we should be worshiping on Saturday, Pastor Greg. The Bible says that's the Sabbath. Oh, you need to read some more. Jesus is the Sabbath. It's not the day of the week. So you, you should get the idea. Paul says, watch out for all this stuff. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, verse 17, but the reality is found in Christ. Once you receive Jesus as your Savior, once you begin to listen to him as your Lord, that's the ball game, friends. All the other stuff is extra. So Paul says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, to the elemental spiritual forces, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He says, no, 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 don't add Jewishness to your faith. The Christian faith is the fullness of Jewishness. The purpose of the law is to lead us to a Lord, subject for another time, but... Paul says, watch out for that. And then he says, watch out for all the people who will lay their mystical experiences on you. Look, look at verses 18 and 19. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Strong word. Such a person, hear this, such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. Oh, the other night I had this dream. The other day I was driving and the clouds made a shape. All kinds of stuff like this. They go into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And they have lost connection with the head. That's Jesus. 
from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Uh, Friends, please hear me. It doesn't matter how amazing somebody else's story about coming back from the dead or being visited by angels or having visions or whatever. Those things are real and true, but all of them only lead up to Jesus. And in him we have the fullness of who God is. So don't let yourself be preoccupied with those things. And then in that phrase, elemental spiritual force of this world, Paul has one other thing in mind, and that's the lies planted in the world's systems by real supernatural beings. You know, the demons, the enemies of God in the spiritual realm, those are all real. But what we forget is that their work is to plant lies and deceptions. Their work isn't to make your bed elevate and your head spin. Their work is to plant lies and deceptions in the world. Paul says, we want to watch out for those. The devil is always telling us that we want that what we want is power and wealth and reputation and independence and fully indulged appetites. But God is telling us that what we really want is humility and community and contentment, and self-control. The question is, who are we going to believe? Oscar Wilde, not somebody I'm often accused of quoting, said this, there's two tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting it. Why? Because our appetites can be deceived by a very real enemy who sows lies in our culture about what we want. You know, when I was young, maybe like you, I... I used to think it would be a great thing to win the lottery. What was it yesterday? $625 million. Now, with the wisdom of years, I think about what it was $625 million would have done to my 25-year-old soul. <laughs> and wow, am I glad I didn't win that. You see, that's where the hoax is. It's the devil sowing hoaxes about what we really want. A lot of us have listened to him so long that we think what we want is to play with sin. But we really don't. What we really want is holiness. That's what brings joy. That's what brings contentment. In October of 2007, the Reuters news agency carried the story of an elementary school in the town of Barneveld, Holland. And for several months... Teachers and staff had noticed that the kids, several months, think about this, the kids were playing a game with a a new toy they'd found in the dirt. They tossed it around, they used it for a wicket ball, they pounded on it with rocks. One day, a curious teacher noticed them pounding on it with rocks, decided to go see what it was. Turns out it was an unexploded artillery shell left over from World War II. And you're thinking, well, it was old, it wouldn't blow up. Well, the teachers called the police, they called the army, they came out with their explosive ordnance team and discerned that it was, in fact, live. Cleared the area, blew it up, cleaned up the mess. No harm, no foul. Kids play with bombs because they're naive. Adults play with sin because we're deceived. And, and, and Paul says, I don't want that for you. <laughs> so, so, so watch out for all these hoaxes. Be a soldier, have a filter, be a skeptic. Be careful about all this stuff. The Bible reminds us to listen to Jesus before every other voice because, look at verses 9 to 12, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You don't need anything else. He is the head over every power and authority. Every eternal enemy that's out there in the spiritual realm has already been defeated by him. 
in him, now this little, it's going to feel a little alien to our ears, but I'll explain it. We're almost done. He says, in him you are also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, what's Paul saying? Okay, the Jews thought of circumcision, the physical act, as the proof that they had righteousness with God. Now, they thought that because they weren't paying attention to their Bibles. <laughs> the Bible itself, Genesis chapter 12, tells us that circumcision was a sign of the covenant. God gave righteousness to Abraham. Then he said, because I've already given it to you, here's a sign. So that you will know you're mine. So that you're distinct, you're different. You understand that. By Jesus' day, the people had turned that into, you're not, you don't belong to God unless you go get circumcised. In fact, that's how you get close to God. Paul says, no, it's never been the truth. What Jesus has done in you is more significant than that act in the body. He's done something on the inside of you. Now, I don't have time to get into this a lot this morning, but friends, but let me just help you understand something. The theological center of your Bible is Jeremiah chapter 31. That's where the prophet tells us that we're going to come under a new covenant. A couple weeks ago, we had communion. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He's thinking of Jeremiah 31. And God says in Jeremiah 31, the difference between the old and the new covenant. In the old, God's commandments are written on tablets of stone. In the new covenant, they're written on your heart. What's, what's he saying? When Jesus becomes your savior, you start wanting to do what God wants and wanting to know what God wants. You're, you're changed dramatically. Paul says that's the circumcision of the heart. That's what Christ has done for you. You know, before I was a believer, I wasn't asking what God wanted. I was asking what Greg wanted. And I had a laundry list. But when I became a believer, I started saying, okay, God, what do you want for me? How can I please you? And that was the ball game. That changes everything. Paul says, hey, in Christ, there's, there's nothing left over that you haven't experienced that you don't need anything else. He says, so be careful of any idea that suggests otherwise. You know, church, we must grasp that our faith, this Christian faith, is fundamentally a celebration. It isn't a, a job, a chore, a duty, a mission even. It's fundamentally a celebration. Jesus does all the work, we celebrate. That's what it is. And that's wherein lies the power. You know, when the Seahawks were beating the Broncos in the Super Bowl, you were jumping up and down, screaming, running around, pounding your neighbors in your house, and nothing you were doing was helping at all. <laughs> it wasn't. They were winning and you were celebrating. And that's what we do in Christ. And Paul says, watch out for any suggestion otherwise. Now, he goes on to finish, and he says, when you, when you put Jesus alone, when he's the only one, when he's your filter, when he's your skeptic, he's going to teach you some pretty amazing stuff. Look at verses 13 and 14. He'll teach you, for example, that you had God's love before you deserved it. Let me say that again. You had God's love before you deserved it. When you were dead uh, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away and nailed it to a cross. God redeems us even before we deserve it. That's what you'll learn when he's your skeptic, when he's your filter. The great hoax of American popular religion, please hear me, we're almost done. The great hoax of American popular religion is that hard-working patriots go to heaven. So be a hard-working patriot. It's a lie. 
The truth is that there's only one way to heaven, and it's having Jesus as your Savior. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wide is the gate and broad is the road. Jesus speaking, that leads to destruction. Narrow the gate that leads to life. He's talking about himself. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Friends, please understand, God's not trying to save the country. He's not. He's trying to save souls. He's trying to save people. He's trying to save your enemies as well as your friends. He's trying to save those on both sides of all the fences. He wants to save them all. Christians know that because they're skeptics who listen only to Jesus. Because they put away all the other religious ideas that are out there. And God wants that for us. Let me tell you a story. We're almost done. I keep saying that, but we are. In November of 2016, a 67-year-old woman went for eye surgery in London. The vision in her right eye had, over the past two years, gotten progressively worse. Given her age, doctors assumed it was cataracts, and they, they went ahead just administratively and scheduled her for a routine procedure to get the cataracts out of her right eye. But when she came to the office that day and they started the procedure, they found something they didn't expect. They found in her right eye, catch this, 27 contact lenses that she had put into her eye. Yeah, no kidding. See, what happened was she, her, her right eye began to seem to the vision to fail, and she thought, well, I need to put another uh, contact lens in there, so she put another one in. And that seemed to help, so she went along for a few days, and then it wasn't anymore, so she put another one in. And, and being older and kind of losing track of things, she kept forgetting. So she stuffed 27 contact lenses in her eyes. Now, you and I say, that's foolish. You're right, it is. So don't pile up all the things you're doing for God and think that they help you. <laughs> It's what he does for us. In fact, all they do is make you blinder. Yeah. And so Paul says, okay, watch out for this stuff. Okay. Let Jesus be the filter. Let Jesus make you a skeptic. Listen only to him. Verses 13 to 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's made a public spectacle of them, talking about spiritual enemies, triumphing over them by the cross. Yeah. That's what God wants us to grasp. He wants us to be... Uh, on guard, on patrol, immune to all the hoaxes that are out there, listening instead only to Jesus and what he's done. Let me ask us as we close this morning, is that where you are? Or do you have a bunch of human traditions and crazy ideas you picked up that you're leaning on instead? A friend of mine, Derry Northrup, pastor in Colorado, tells a wonderful story. I finish with it. He talks about his 40th birthday. His wife knew that he had a lifelong dream was to skydive. So, she bought him and a couple of his buddies a skydiving package for his 40th birthday. He was so excited. Went up with a, a group, a small group in the plane over Colorado. Got to be the time when they were supposed to jump. They'd been taught what to do. And this was kind of an automatic one. So as soon as you jump out of your plane, your parachute automatically opens and launches. And, you know, you don't, basically don't have to do a thing. It's a rookie skydive. And so all that they were told they had to do in the class before the jump was this. Step to the door, jump out, and let go. <laughs> right? How hard can that be? Everything else is automatic. Step to the door, jump out, and just let go. <laughs> Derry said, okay, we were in line, and people are jumping out. And he says, he got to where I was second in line, and the guy in front of me, it was his turn. I could tell he was anxious. And the guy stepped to the, to the door, jumped out, and didn't let go. <laughs> 
And the next thing they knew, they had an emergency. This guy's holding onto a strap, banging against the side of the plane. And his life is in immense danger because he won't let go. And they couldn't get him to. Eventually, they had to pull him back inside the plane. The instructor said, that's the worst possible thing you could have done. It's the only dangerous thing you could have done. And so it is with us and our Savior. The only dangerous thing we can do is try to do it in our own strength. It's when we let Him that we discover the truth and the power of the gospel. I wonder if you've let go or not. If you let go, are you still stuffing contact lenses in your eyes? Jesus says, hey, watch out for the idea that says that's the way forward. It's not true. It's not real. The truth is you receive me as your Savior and you rest in it and you celebrate it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, the truth is we are surrounded by hoaxes. There are so many out there. God, teach us to be on patrol against them, to not be taken captive by them, to instead trust in your finished work on the cross, celebrate what you have done, and learn to know you as our Lord. God, teach us that what we really want is what you want for us. Help us, God, to let go of what we think we want, that we might know the freedom of floating in the sky, safe in your finished work. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Pastor Dave and Pastor Darius are going to be down front here. We'd love to pray with you, pray over you for healing or anything that might be on your heart. Those things are real. But be on your guard. The hoaxes are everywhere. Jesus is the filter. Be his skeptic. Now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon, friends. I just want